Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Tattoos and Jesus. Um, here today with a special co-host that is familiar to everyone here. I've been moved up to co-host status. That's right. Homeless Jimmy, you heard it. I've been given a home. <laughs> Josh decided to bail on us this week. Um, he's, he, hang, he's hanging he, out with the Mormons in Utah. He's hanging out with the Mormons in Utah. Okay, so I got a text earlier today, so we're recording, would it be a week before y'all hear this, but I got a request, hey, y'all didn't put out an episode this week. You are correct. So if you're like, where have you guys been? Like, have you, like, I got a text today, it said, you guys thought you were going to make it to episode 50, but you came up short. (laughs) 47 and we stalled. No, it's spring break. We didn't record for spring break, and so we decided to take the the week of spring break off. So it does delay episode 50, but we're we're still in the game, man. Josh or not, yeah, we're still in the game. Still in the game. So Jimmy's here. I could say he's pitch hitting, but really Josh just pitch hits for you (laughs) because you're the pro. (laughs) No. No. Listen, Josh isn't here. We can roast him literally for an hour straight. Yeah, but I gotta. I guess I need to be careful from which I don't need to bite the hand whence feeds me. That's so. Um, you guys are the ones that brought me into po- podcast so fame, so I need sweet. to be careful. Yeah, oh, I need to be man. careful. Okay. But the funny story that you were just telling me before we started this thing was that Josh was hiking in Utah. That's right. And he runs across a group from Spartanburg Christian Academy um, while he's hiking in Utah. And he meets a guy by the name of Seth Blanton. And Seth Blanton is the son of the gentleman that is my mentor, one of my mentors, slash, he was the best man in my wedding, Rex Wedding. Not wedding, but wedding. Wedding. We, we get murdered around here. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> Sorry. Was wedding. it, was it a, a barn, Mario? You joke, it was. <laughs> I got married. Okay. All right. So we got married in a. Um, it, it was a gentleman that had, it was in Hull, Georgia. So you've got Athens, Georgia. Yeah. So if, if you're coming down, okay, so Spartan, well, I got to do it. Anyways, you're coming south. Coming you're south, south. Into Athens, yeah. Georgia. There's a place called Hull, Georgia. And How do you spell that? I don't know. H U L L. Hull. Hull, okay. Hull, Georgia. And um, it was literally right over the, the line, the county line from Athens, Clark County. So you go over from Athens, Clark County into Hull, Georgia, and you literally veer off the road. And you start this wonderful trip down back roads. I probably couldn't get to where this location is now. It's been nine years this August. But we looked at all sorts of venues. We wanted to get married in a church, but the church that her dad served in at the time was just very, it was going to be a weird setup. So it, it was. What kind of church was he in? Um, it was a church. It was a church plant, and it was a. The church had taken, and they actually bought it from a previous church that had renovated and flipped a uh, car repair shop into a church. So gotcha. the so the repair base for the car for the cars was the sanctuary, and so the sanctuary had these these like big three and a half car wide garage door that but they still had the doors that would still, go up. They still have the doors, and when they baptized, which is really cool, when they baptized to this day. They flip the garage doors open and the the baptismals on the outside. That so, is awesome. So anyway, long story short, long, you did not want to get married. Didn't in a want car to get married. There. And so we were looking at we were looking at um, old churches. We were looking at venues, and everything was just so expensive. And we you know botanical gardens and all this. So finally, we heard about this uh, church or this this barn in Hull, Georgia. We go to look at it, and it's a guy that had a barn. He started 
started renovating with the aspirations of or aspirations aspirations uh, is that the right word all Inspir- i can think of is aspirating well yeah in right a medical sense. right that's not the right word i had the goal of the goal of the there goal we go of. i just need to stay within my lane of <laughs> of english here um they, he had the goal of turning it into like this bar slash honky tonk slash just a place for him and his buddies to hang out so that they could get you know wasted and, yeah. and party and dance let's go that goal did not but come. it made an amazing wedding venue well it was interesting because he had <laughs> the lobby of this barn had animal heads and and just deer and all this yeah. other stuff and so we're like okay well if we if we you know rent this place out are we going to be able to cover it up and we thought okay well the animal head that's not going to be bad we walk into the back doors of the of the venue Bars to the right, we look up above us. The man has taken and and basically stripped down an old Indian motorcycle. You know, hanging Indian, for, yeah, hanging yeah, from the sky, hanging right over the door as you walk in. Is that what sold you? Um, I couldn't. Believe, I want to go get married again right my, now. My wife, my wife was like, she was in love with the venue, and I was like, Are you kidding? We're gonna have all of this other st- like all this stuff is hanging around. You want to get married in a man? And cave. You want to get married in a man cave? <laughs> And she was like, no, you know, my mom, we're going to take and do bows. And I mean, and they did. They stinking knocked it out of the park. And we got married in a man cave That's in awesome. old Georgia that looked absolutely stinking amazing. There's a So did you, did you have problems with turnout because it was in this weird remote location? Uh, no, not because it was a weird remote location, but because of the day that we chose to get married on. We got married on August 13th, or no, August 31st, 2013. There we go. Um, August 31st, 2013, the first Saturday in college football season. Oh. Yeah. In Georgia. In Georgia. SEC country. You ready? And it was the first time in like 20-something years that Clemson and Georgia were playing each other. Of all the two teams. That of could all be the playing. two teams. And so anybody from my side of the family, Clemson fans, oh. Any well, actually, not all of them, and but any side from any friends, family from her side, Georgia fans. Yeah. So, did you actually have any way that was actually close to you that decided to skip the wedding because of the ball game, like a meaningful person, not extended family, not those like you know, but no. like somebody meaningful. No. Um. And even, yeah, no. But <laughs> we were told to uh, get a move on. Through the whole process. Like, let's get it done. Like, like, what time was your wedding? Three o'clock. What time was the game? Kickoff was eight o'clock. Oh, man, they got time. No, not in Athens, Georgia. <laughs> not in Athens, Were they Georgia. going to the game? They, uh, there were some people that I don't – not sure, but I know that there were a lot of people that wanted to be home and out of their wedding yeah. garb. They had to be ready. They had to be shorts, T-shirt, nachos. Ready to go for kickoff. Yeah. And so that's all we heard leading up to our wedding was, well, y'all, y'all gonna be done. And y'all were y'all, serving a meal. Uh, it, it was it was heavy, heavy hors d'oeuvres. Okay. It was heavy hors d'oeuvres. And um, you know, looking back on it, we should have gotten married on a Friday and had a coffee bar. Yeah. And and had a small ceremony and bang. and Josh and I could have DJed it and called po- it the Dirty Brew <laughs> Wedding, the Dirty Brew Crew. That's right. <laughs> um, it would have matched the, the the barn. But we got we got married. Um, and and. God's honest truth, because it was one of those marriage, one of those ceremonies where we flipped the wedding venue into the reception venue. Mm-hmm. So we, it was blue blazes hot. Like we were thinking, I don't know what we were thinking. Hey, let's get married August thirty first, Athens, Georgia. 
it's going to be a breezy, cool 70-something degrees, right? No, it was blazing hot, and we had had to ask our guest, guest to stand out. In the hot. In the hot and in the lobby while they flipped the venue. And so it was quick. And then once the, but once you get those, all those people back into the venue, you, uh, you can pump the air conditioner as hard as it can go. And it's still going to be It's not going to catch up. No. So it was already toasty. We, um, we're making our, our rounds, of course, after our introduction and our first dance and we're, you know, Hey, thanks for coming. Our, our wedding planner comes up to us and interrupts our, our meet and greet session. And, and she goes, you have to do the cake cutting now because people it's melting. are yeah, oh. no people are leaving. Oh. And it was probably it was around four fifteen, four thirty ish, and we're like, Why are people leaving? She said, Uh, there's a football game on tonight. We need to get this thing going. And I said, Oh and we were like, All right, Dang. let's do it. And so the the wedding, the cake cutting led to, well, if y'all want to have people for your pictures as you exit you need to go ahead and leave now. And so we were, they were getting our food basket and everything ready. And we weren't really kind of set to check in at our, our hotel till like five o'clock. And it was like four fifteen, And so it was, it was a slow drive to the hotel <laughs> and here McKenna and I are, she's in her wedding dress and, oh. and I'm, I'm in my tux. Well, you know, my, my get up and literally everybody was gone from the place probably Dang. before six so o'clock. So what we did is we got a venue that had split sides. Mm-hmm. One was a little nicer. One was a little more like rustic, yeah. like open ceilings, whatever that's mm-hmm. called. The Anyway, and it was cool with downtown Spartanburg. Yep. Uh, Indigo Hall. Indigo Hall. Yeah. Yep. So exactly where we, are. we got married on one side, and they just literally walked downstairs to where the we had heavy hors d'oeuvres. But what Ashley and I did was we kind of made the rule for ourselves. We're not going to do anything that's just like – the culturally pressured thing to do at a wedding, right? If it doesn't conform to who we are as people, oh, and so like for example, no dancing. So y'all don't dance. Y'all didn't no. need to do the. We don't dance. The first dance. No first dance. No nothing. What? Because and I got nothing wrong with it. Right. Uh, it'd probably be good for me to actually go take some dance lessons. <laughs> right. But that's not who I am. Like I have no interest in dancing. She mm. has no interest in dancing. So we're not going to do on like one of the most special days of our life something that doesn't define us. Right. And so, literally, hey, this is this was it. all it was, was we had a DJ guy that was just playing some, like, you know, background music, right. not like DJ dance music, right. background music. <laughs> and <clears throat> None of that. No, it was, let's get jiggy with it. <laughs> um, no, so we go down, and it's heavy hors d'oeuvres, basically. People oh. are sitting there. So we walk around, say, hey, to everybody, do right. the cake cutting. Right. That's it, baby. Yeah. Like, because that's the other thing, too, is, like, I hate weddings. I hate going to weddings. I have one bucket list item. That bucket this is awful. <laughs> so, so I have this bucket list item that I, the only like the only reason I keep going to weddings is I want to be at a wedding where either the bride or, or the groom jets takes off That's down horrible. the hall. It is awful, but it didn't happen at my wedding. Yeah. So whatever. Like well, story I, I, I don't want to tell them the my. Sorry. Were you at one of these? Because that they, that's one of my bucket list items. Otherwise, yeah. I don't like weddings. So I like short weddings, short, short receptions. Let's right. go. Right. So that's what we did. So we actually left. We did the leaving, and we came back to your reception. So we did the official departure to get the photos knew, for the photo for the photos right. and the fact that we knew people weren't going to stick around. We weren't doing right. anything. There was right. no party. There was no heavy hors d'oeuvres. Socializing. Socializing. And yeah. then they were going to peace out. So we're looking at solid, what, 45 minutes of that? Right. So about 45 minutes, an hour in, 
we leave, mm-hmm. basically drive around the block, come back, change clothes, get ready, and then we roll out because right. we were going to Pigeon Forge. Hey. And so we just, we left, and then right. we came back. But by then, most of the people had left. Myrtle Beach in the mountains, Pigeon Forge, That's Tennessee. Right. Love it. So yeah, the uh, what was funny is the in our in our uh, ceremony, my father father in law married us, and so I wanted my youth pastor to kind of. You know, somebody had to like do the introduction and welcoming yeah. and all that, and so um, because of the size of the venue, they they had these huge uh, like thick curtains covering where they stored chairs and tables mm-hmm. and stuff to each side of where the stage was, and we had put up stage and all that, and and McKenna and her mom did a really cool thing um, with with the backdrop of the stage, used three doors, and actually one of the doors had the address 831 which is our anniversary and we still have that door in our house today so we have oh, that's awesome a big old door yeah. off of our house so anyway long story long here um the my youth pastor introduces us and he's like okay where do i go what do i do and so he immediately thinks just you know exit stage left behind curtains well when he does he exits into the area where they're pre-staging the food and it's they're pre-staging the food behind one of those curtains behind yeah. uh, right there in front of everybody and so he's live tweeting during our 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 ceremony and posting pictures on instagram of, <laughs> of him, <the> food. <laughs> him being behind in 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 that area it was, it was a funny funny so, moment thing you know there's that there's another thing i have with weddings you know how a lot of times in the past they would do like that uh, unity candle right moment well it's always in the in the middle of a song so there's like a five minute long song and a 30 second unity candle so there's this like three and a half minute awkwardness always and, and the embrace where you can't kiss yet that's right no so, so. it's like you're standing there staring at each other with this awkward tension where right. everybody else is looking it's so uncomfortable number right. one it's changed now a lot of times people do unity sand i think that's bull crap <laughs> because you can actually separate that like you can separate that. <laughs> like it's hard. It might take a microscope, but right. you can you, you can, can separate, separate yeah. the purple and the gray. Like you can pull those apart. You can't separate fire. I don't care what you say, Marty. I love the beach. No. Leave me alone. Unity sand is it, it points to the depravity of society that we're giving room for divorce. Is what it, <laughs> that's what it does. That's so, the problem with it. <laughs> all right. So anyway, so we do. I don't even remember what we did. I don't know if we unified. I don't know what we and you did. Can ta- I mean, you can take but, that and apply it to the candle too, because you can technically take the candle of the same flame that you and do two separate yeah, candles Yeah, but it's again, been but. combined then at that point. So okay. you get a little bit all of both right. on all each right. one, right? Just like when you get a divorce, you take. What about blowing out the candle at the end of the ceremony? Blowing out the candle? So. Oh no, it's still burning. See, it's the <laughs> eternity. Fl- it, what's that thing they do for the Olympics? The eternal flame. So anyway, that's JFK's grave, dude. Oh. <laughs> Hey, I was there last week. I was at JFK's grave last week, or the place he got shot. I was in right. Dallas. In Dallas, okay. I saw the place. Anyway, Sorry. here's the more of the story. I did not want there to be a three-minute awkward pause. Oh, gosh. And so I'm brainstorming, what can I do to fill this time? Mm. So right, you got to think, this was 12 years ago. Oh, gosh. And yeah. so this was before iPhones are big, anything like that. Like, we had, I had smartphones, a, but they You did. I had yeah. a BlackBerry. Yeah. So what I decided to do is I had it on me, and and about halfway through that pause, I pulled it out and started taking pictures of the congregation from the, my stage, and did Ashley have and a live tweeting them, live tweeting. I live tweeted it. No, here's the what sucks. 
it glitched and it didn't post. <gasps> and I had to repost it. Uh, but I did it. I did it. So you almost had your Brad Keselowski backstretch Daytona moment yeah. tweeting from the car. That's I almost had it. And I nope. still have that picture because it's my uncle who conducted the ceremony going, right. with this big cheesy gringling. Right. Did you did your groomsmen hand you anything as you walked down the aisle? Or as they came down? No, they didn't. Oh, so gosh. my wife though had her girls do something really funny. So I'm six foot four. <laughs> My wife's like four foot six, right? No, legit. She's five, two, and three quarters. Dynamite comes in small packages, buddy. You're not incorrect. So <laughs> she she had a little stool. And so what happened is when it got time for the kiss, she like, I can't remember exactly what it was. I don't know if she just like said, wait a minute, put her finger up. And I was like, what's happening, right? Instantly, my anxiety's going up. My face is turned. And she looks back, and we had seven bridesmaids and seven grooms. Huge wedding. One to one to one to one is passing the stool all the way down the line. And then they put it down and she gets up on the stool and gives me the kiss. It was super. It was good. She trumped anything that I had done at that point. It was hilarious. Uh, I have to. Okay. We I'll I'll tell these two stories. Um, Do this. Introduce this coffee and then we'll tell the story. You you brought to us today the coffee for the review. You actually brought it to us like two months ago. Yeah. I'm surprised it still kind of tastes pretty potent. Yeah. I haven't tried it yet. I'm about to go in. I'm halfway. I'm halfway in. Um, Mm. It is. The temperature's right. It is Maker's Mark or Member's Mark, not Maker's Mark. Maker's Mark is the whiskey. Um, <laughs> Member's Mark coffee. This conversation is about to get a lot looser. <laughs> hey, um, you uh, you can buy this at Sam's Club, um, and especially during the recession right now, or or whatever you want to call it, inflation. There we go. That was the word I was looking for. But during with inflation and K cups being so expensive, you can go to Sam's and buy this for. It's a huge box of about a hundred K cups for thirty bucks. Oh, that's cheap. Yeah, super cheap. What is cheap. that, like 30 cents a K-cup? Yeah. 35 and, and so if you're wanting just a good cup of coffee, serviceable to get the job done, um, it does have some caffeine to it, but it's yeah. it's, it's a French roast coffee. It's, it's solid. I will, say, I will say solid is what I was thinking. Yeah. So I just tried this for the first time, and it is super solid. Like, Because that's I think that is one of the things that Josh and I need to do is, because we keep coffee at the office all the time. Like, part of me wishes we could, like, I'm a loyalist. I wish I could narrow down to, like, one or two K-cups um, or ground coffee that is just, like, that's our go-to. And so we could just stock up on it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this could be one of those. Like, it's, like, because to do that, it has to be affordable mm-hmm. and easily accessible. Yeah. And then when, um, you, when you get into, like, the, the other brands of coffee, like, you, you walk down the aisle and donut shop and even Folgers, you get over that $30 price point with, with even some of the cheaper brands. Oh, yeah. And it's... It's yeah. good. Now this ain't gourmet. No, I'm, it's solid though. Yeah. It's it's better than Folgers. Now I mean we've I've said this on um, to y'all before. Like I don't love the medium roast anymore. Like it just lacks a lot of flavor mm-hmm. for me. And so I like the dark roast, which it has that. It has mm-hmm. that dark roast flavor. It doesn't have any acidic back into yeah. it. And so I'm so. What's your what's your score on this? It it hangs around on the tongue though. That's the only downside. You're yeah. definitely going to have I, some coffee breath with this one. I feel um, that. I'm. That's a big sigh right there. What are you going to get? What are you going to give this thing? I know I, you like it. What I, do you I like it, but I don't know if I like it enough to put it anything over five. Over five, or like five five is the ceiling. Okay. So what are you going to give it? Uh. 
I'll give it because it's better than average cups of K cups that I've tried. Okay, I'll go back on my words that I just said like less than 15 seconds ago. 5-2. Let's see here. And I'm not comfortable with that. You're giving it a 5-2. I don't know, man. I'm not. You can't even, change it. It's one score. You gave it the score. I it's gave it the score. Two. I can't go back on it. I, I'll, I'll be honest. I like it better than 5-2. Okay. All right. So you're harder on this cup of coffee than I drink this stuff every day. So, so like, I, I give it a 5-6. Okay. That puts it at a 5-4, which I think is a fair score. Because I, I would say that this is probably better than dark roast Folgers or Maxwell House. You, you, I think it's, I think with kind of the second lap with T and J podcast, we need you need to start categorizing like upper echelon coffee, like yeah. top shelf coffee, and no pun intended, your average Joe coffee. Like because when yes. you start talking about. Some of the 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 coffee like y'all tasted, yeah, yeah, like the Little River Dark Rose. That's in a, a league that's of an, its own. Yeah, that's another. <clears throat> that's another You're right. Yeah, which and also part of episode fifty. We're not getting into all this. Is we're launching a platform where we're going to be able to kind of create some of this content where you can go and quickly see mm-hmm. this is what we've reviewed. These are the scores we've given it. Right. Here's kind of where we're at, but you're 100 percent right. Like it's like this year in particular, by no fault of our own. Like we have not sought it; it has come to us. Yeah, we're just drinking better coffee. It's inevitable as long as we're drinking. Like truthfully, if I would have tried this cup of coffee a year ago, I'd have probably scored it. If I'm being honest, better than five six, because I was drinking some crap. Yeah, because because your your palate was not refined yet. Marty, your palate was not. It was not refined. I don't know that it's refined yet, but it is what it is. Um. So anyway, what were the other stories that you said you? <laughs> oh, uh, we were we were kind of going down down the road of marriage and, and our 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 honeymoon. Well, no, not the honeymoon. Um, oh yeah, do tell him. Listen, <laughs> do tell him. Nope, we went to Pensacola and had fun. The end. <laughs> um, that was, but it, actually a blessing with with where we uh, went on our honeymoon because, um, my father in law was really good friends with the gentleman that had. Uh, a condominium in like this nice plush kind of five-star resort in Pensacola, Florida. So you've got all the stuff like regular area of Pensacola, Florida, where people vacation in the nice hotels and all that. And then you've got the housing and the beach houses. And then the last thing you, you have before you leave Pensacola going towards Navarre beach on, on Gulf breeze highway is a place called Portofino. Um, Sounds and, fancy, and it it is fancy. It's five, it's five ho- uh, like five uh, towers of like twenty four or twenty something floors um, each, and it is super nice. And I'm trying to look it up right now, and I completely uh, messed it up. But it, it's like it's super nice. It's uh, like it, it's not. It's one of those things where you can be all inclusive, or you can just stay at the place and do whatever you want to. Yeah. Um, and and this is the kind of place where men that have been businessmen for years upon years have more money than they know what to do with. Their wives have a place there, and that's where they stay with their dog when it gets really cold. So you're cold. so – your whole mon- honeymoon, you are a poser. Yeah, absolutely. I, we don't belong there. I mean, no, no – I will not argue with you about this, and I'm about to show you a – I'll be honest. Every time you say Portofino, I think of Portobello mushrooms. Like the wine or, or Portofino. Is there a Portofino wine? Is I don't that, want to go to Facebook here. I, I just want to look at the image here. <clears throat> um, Portobello mushrooms. Yeah. Um, here we go. If I can pull the picture up. Um, that's where we stayed at. Holy smoke. Yeah. 
And so it's five towers, and we've had the privilege of of staying there for vacation every Listen, year. Listen, if you are rich, <laughs> yeah. The running joke is that if we ever win the lottery, not that we play the lottery, um, but if we ever come across, you know, our multi million dollar inheritance, we'll we'll buy a couple <clears throat> of condos there and. Hey, I'm with you. I'd live I'm there sold. in a heartbeat, but it's a great place to vacation. But that's where we where we honeymooned Dude, at and vacation at. So, Jimmy, I want to shift gears a little bit. I got a question. <laughs> no for pun you. intended. No pun. <laughs> <laughs> I want... Oh, I didn't tell you. It's too cold. It's too cold. But I did come. What prepared are you wearing? Today. What are you wearing? I did, I did come prepared today. I got my. Oh, got you're my... okay. So yeah, you know. So we share a common bond that I, apparently nobody else in the world shares. Apparently not, because of the jokes. And, <laughs> and that is, we're both huge NASCAR fans. Right. Right, and so Josh doesn't even know what a car is, and so like he is the most like right. I, like I just need something to drive from point A to point B. Like when I met Josh, right, the Joker was driving like an O2 Taurus, <laughs> and I said, "Dude, what are you what are you doing?" He's like, "I got it cheap, man. It's reliable." <laughs> the and I'm Taurus. like, "Oh my goodness!" Oh. And so, anyway, like. I'm a huge racing fan. You're a huge racing fan. And right. so I thought we could talk about that because Josh has no clue what I'm talking right. about if I reference racing other than to make fun of me. So congratulations, faithful listeners of Tattoos and Jesus. Um, thank you for joining us. Um, <laughs> but there's going to be a lot of you guys. No, I think I think he's going to make a great case for even if you don't watch NASCAR racing, let's hear yes. us out. Let's That's make right. a case for it. So here's <clears throat> the first question I have is I know that before we get into the deeper stuff about why – NASCAR means a lot. Right. Why do you like, at face value, why do you like racing? Um, I, instead of playing the ball sports, football, baseball, tennis, whatever, growing up in high school and growing up, um, I raced BMX bikes. And so I have just this thing that clicks inside of me that I, I love anything that races. Like, yeah. if skiers that are racing on television, I'll stop and watch them. Even uh, the Tour de France that's going to be happening mm-hmm. in a couple of months, like, it, it's, it's, it would be absolutely boring to other people, but I'm fascinated mm-hmm. by racing and the strategy mm-hmm. behind it. Enduro racing, uh, the Baja 1000, the Baja 500, IndyCar, F1. Stinking F1 is so technologically advanced. Yeah. Um, we have no clue what, like, it's so you crazy. so you follow NASCAR more diligently, but mm-hmm. given the opportunity, you can enjoy any race that's yeah. given to you. Yeah, my favorite day of the year is the Sunday is Memorial Day Sunday because you have is that the, Indianapolis Five Hundred. Well, day? it's the Monaco Grand Prix mm-hmm. in the morning. Like you wake up and you can eat your biscuit as you, and watch the Monaco Grand Prix, and then the Indy Five Hundred comes on at lunchtime, mm-hmm. and then the Coke, five, the Coke Six Hundred. No, the, yeah, the Coke Six Hundred is is in the evening. Yeah. My favorite is when you get a NASCAR guy that races at Indy and then comes back. Yeah. Like when Kurt Busch has done that. I think Tony's done it. Jimmy Robbie Johnson's, Gordon Jimmy Johnson's it. going to Jimmy do Jimmy Johnson's. <laughs> um, in their prime, it, right. it's prefer- preferable. Right. Uh, so anyway, um, so I think for me, like I was raised like, a, I can't, like it's hard. Like when you think back to as a child, like I don't really remember a time that racing wasn't there. Right. But I don't like. I think my dad was always a fan. Now, were you you grew up in Pennsylvania? So I grew up. I spent. I was born in Ohio. Okay, was there for three or four years, and then I went. It's debated. I think it was three years, but and then I spent seven years in Pennsylvania. Okay, and then I moved to North Carolina, which is a racing hub USA. Right. 
in the fifth grade. So I was about seven years there, fifth through twelfth. What part of North Carolina? Winston Salem. Winston Salem. Okay. So right, yeah, right yeah, there, right there. It's RJR, yeah. exactly. So anyway, so like I remember watching racing as a kid, mm-hmm. right? So it's one of those things that, as a kid, trying to, it's easy to, to determine value and weird order like i don't know if like my dad was a huge racing fan yeah and he brought me on or he liked racing but i got hooked and so that brought him on more deep like yeah. i'm pretty sure my dad was a racing fan mm-hmm. and so like i had experience watching racing and yeah. i naturally got into it um and so and i've just like you like it was a good fit mm-hmm. because i love cars mm-hmm. i love things that move like I just I like to drive yeah and so to me it's just a natural fit to my personality because mm-hmm. I enjoy like if I were to pick a profession like in a magical world I'd probably mm-hmm. be like a mechanical engineer yeah I don't have the intelligence to be a mechanical engineer but I like how things right. work like I used to take apart stuff at home all the time mm-hmm. and so just the mechanical nature of it right I find fascinating mm-hmm. um like I love racing it would be cool to be a race car driver but that's an ego thing right right like I was listening to a, a podcast it's tough too yeah, like I was listening to a podcast the other day when he was like, you know, my brother drove the first year, but he really liked to work on him and he wasn't a good driver. I was a better driver. And I was like, you know, that would probably be me. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I have the edge right. to actually go mm-hmm. out there. Yeah. But like I think really analytically. Right. And so I'd probably end up being one of those guys that's like, you are a really crappy driver. Mm-hmm. But you learned really, really good the strategy, right? And like how stuff works, and we're right. able to make it go fast. Yeah, and, and the common mistake too, and, and and the only way that I know this is because the only I, I've tasted a little bit of the racing world through sim racing. Yeah, and that stuff's legit. Like even Dale Earnhardt Jr. talks about, and he's mm-hmm. helped develop i racing, and so, um, and I've raced in leagues. And so you get 40-something guys in a sim on the same server at the same track racing. Is it is it NASCAR? No, it's not. Is it the same yeah. thing as being in the but car? But it still scratches that itch. It, it does. And, and it showed me really, really quick that the guys that go for broke within the first five laps, they tear all their junk up. They yeah. tear their cars up, and they tear their tires up. And, and the sim is very good about – and so those are the guys that fall back through the pack at – like yeah. if you're running 150, 200 lap races, those guys start falling back towards the end of a tire mm-hmm. run, and your tires. If you're if you sat back there and preserved your car, you start slowly climbing. Yeah, it's like the whole tortoise and the hare. Absolutely, absolutely. You know? And so the more patient you are, um, and and there is a lot of strategy mm-hmm. behind it. Now, of course, but there's okay. Yeah. So speaking of the strategy, there's a ton of people that I feel like discount racing <laughs> like that's an understatement like the there's like jokes and all that yeah. yeah it's it's like there's a million people i think that you either love it or hate it it's a love or hate like i don't know a lot of people it's like i tolerate it right you know i run into a lot of people that are like i don't understand it i don't like it or a lot of people that said i miss the 90s this new racing isn't real racing right which has it changed dramatically absolutely right. but i i've my tastes have adjusted with there's still, still enjoy involved it. with it yes so my i guess my question is what do you think the number one so there's some people that's just not going to be attracted to it right? right in the same way that i just like i like cars i right. like automotive stuff like josh i don't think josh is ever going to like racing because <laughs> that's not how his mind works no. and that's fine like that's a, he's a lost cause right but there's some people that i think are kind of that middle portion of you could like it 
but you don't. But Josh likes basketball and professional he does. football. He also loves competition, though. If we could get him to sense the competition side, get him to a race and he'll he love it. he might enjoy that. Yeah. So I guess my question would be: Is what do you think the biggest barrier is that if people understood this, right. they would have a greater appreciation, even if they still didn't love it? Right. They would grow to respect it. I think the the people still want to slap on the persona of the 50s and 60s and early 70s of NASCAR racing to today when it's not that because the onset of Jeff Gordon in 9293 when he came to the sport specifically even Jimmy Johnson and a lot of the guys now like they broke the mold as to and Dale Earnhardt started doing it towards the end of his career of, of the product placement, the promotion, the the appearing on David Letterman and those things was unheard, unheard yeah. of from a driver. So the biggest stigma is that people still think that the NASCAR today is 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 cons- a bunch of redneck moonshine, right? That just drive their tore down RV to Talladega and and spend yeah. the weekend in the infield partying and watching the race, you know that kind of. <laughs> mentality but it's not that anymore it is um you know it people just um it it amazes me because when you bring up nascar when you bring up stock car racing it's the only professional sport that immediately gets stigmatized and simplified yeah I, i i don't i don't take Professional football. Well, it's just eleven guys chasing a ball around the field, going back and forth. I know. Uh, baseball, little boys hitting a stick with mm-hmm. a ball and, and running around in a square. Yeah. You know, I mean, we can oversimplify a sport. But and do you make think it sound part stupid. of that is because every other sport, even if you have no potential, you probably played it at some point, right. and because you played it, you grew to appreciate the skill level. Where racing is so abstract right. to the average person. The closest thing we probably ever did to get to racing was drive go karts right. a handful of times in their life. Right. That because it's so removed. Mm-hmm. that they have a harder time getting a feel for it, whereas the average person played basketball at some point, played football, yeah. baseball. Yeah, I mean, I can see that point. I can see that point because, I mean, you look at both of us, we were raised in the environment. My dad my dad was uh, – he hauled uh, – he drove a truck for Hess, which he drove fuel back and forth from Charleston. Yeah. And then he uh, picked up a uh, job with Ryder hauling carport car parts for General Motors. Mm-hmm. So he would start in Spartanburg, drive to Atlanta, pick up the car parts from where they came in at Hartsville Jackson, Jackson Air, well, the airport down there, sorry. Probably butchered that name. <laughs> but he would bring them back to Spartanburg, and then the next day he would deliver them to the car dealerships mm-hmm. and the race shops. Well, at that time, they would deliver them direct to the car dealerships. They weren't going to the race shops. Um, and so he knew a lot mm-hmm. of the engine builders and a lot of the guys on – you know, when I raced BMX bikes, there was certain pieces of my bike that were made out of titanium that were used pieces off of Dale Earnhardt's engines. And so he knew people like that. And so that's how in the grain, like, yeah. my dad watched it he was every Sunday. He was so connected with it. I think personally from talking to people, and it kind of goes back to what we're already talking, is I think they don't understand it. Mm-hmm. It, because at face value, if you had never seen a race and you look at it, it looks like a car driving in a circle. It is. That's what it at is. At face yeah. value. Right. But you don't understand the complexity of what's really going on there. Mm-hmm. Right? 
which does have a similar feel to me as like football. The more I've understood the strategy of football, right. what each position does, mm-hmm. you grow to appreciate the sport more because you see the complexity of right. it. When you understand what a quarterback is doing, going through his options, his reads, mm-hmm. reading the defense, Pre-snap. changing the yep. plays, like could you still appreciate it maybe at face value? Sure. Mm-hmm. But my enjoyment level skyrocketed when you understand what's going on below the hood. <laughs> and yeah. so like when you understand the strategy of aerodynamics, mm-hmm. car adjustments, drafting, drafting, yep. like all of these things that go into it, it's it, it significantly increases it. So for example, right now on Netflix, there's the Drive to Survive, Drive to Thrive, Survive, whatever the F1 series. Right, I've heard a lot that of has things. Ca- about it. I've watched every one of them. Are they good? Uh, amazing. Okay, they're phenomenal. And and right now, attention to F1 has skyrocketed in the in the United States right. because of that series. Now, part of it is I think they're doing a better job marketing right. to the generations that NASCAR is not connected with. Mm-hmm. Um. Now, so anyway, all that being said, <laughs> you almost opened wa- up a door. There. I almost. <laughs> all that being said, right. like, but watching that gave me the insider information that watching face value at F one I never understood because mm. I never really loved F one because there's no there's no contact, right? Right, and IndyCar's the same way. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no. It's very aerodynamic. They're very fast cars. They're very technologically advanced. Yeah. There's no beating and banging. They they basically follow each other for 500 laps. Mm-hmm. There's very little passing. That's because that's not what those sports are about. Right. That's not what it's about. It's not about beating and banging. Right. There's there's strategies at play. Right. And then when you watch F1, you see in European racing. It's about the teams mm-hmm. as much as the driver. Right. Or do, so anyway, and understanding what's going on kind of behind the surface, mm-hmm. all of a sudden it just illuminates the race right. to right. what's really going on. Right. And the amount of money that's wrapped up in F1, the amount of uh, – and then you look at some of the F1 races that happen in in, <clears throat> in European countries and in, in the Middle East and, and all over the world, these venues are packed yeah. out. And the obvious elephant in the room with NASCAR in the past probably 10 years has been, you go back and look at the races uh, at the beginning of, uh, you know, the early 2000s and, and, you know, even with the onset of the car tomorrow with the, with that weird experiment, what what was, what was the car tomorrow? The whale fin on the right. The whale fin. It was still, you had hundreds of thousands of fans in the, the stadium or the racetrack. So it's not the car that's on the track. Yeah, there, there's something like, um, and, and I always tell people, you know, that kind of go down that route of making fun of the sport before, mm-hmm. you know, like even giving it a chance is, have you been to a race? Mm-hmm. Have you sat on the front stretch, and and sat down on the seats and when and you felt that and felt that yeah. and the, you feel it when you and and the thing yeah. about it is is that. The current car that they're in is louder and higher decibel than than anything that they've had in years. Yeah, and so you're going to feel it more. But but there's I remember my wife took me to a race in Atlanta when we were still dating, getting you know we were months engaged I think, but we were uh, we were going to Atlanta, um, and of all races we went. Well, she picked a 500 miler for her first race, mm. which was especially in Atlanta. At Atlanta. On old Atlanta. Old Atlanta, and it was um, boring. Right, and it was it was the Gen Six car. So they had progressed from the COT, but it was early Gen yeah. Six car. When competition in the last ten years was kind of at its lowest. Right, and it, and it was, and Joey Logano just got out front, got in clean air, and it was just. 
clicking off laps just and the field got spread out and it was it was a boring race yeah. to understand what was going on there but um yeah it, it was it was interesting um but but she um when she got you know i told her i said hey you're going to leave your ear earplugs out for the starting of the engines and then you're also going to watch about the first five laps without your ear, yeah. your earplugs in and so um her eyes got really big because they they lined the cars up on the front stretch and and fired the engines literally probably less than 50 yards from us and then um she when they come roaring by at the drop of the green flag her eyes got big and i said just wait you ain't got nothing yet (laughs) you ain't seen nothing yet and you know the sound you know the sound and as there you hear the roar going down the back stretch and you, they bank off into turn three, yeah. and it just that crescendo just builds and builds yes. and builds and builds. And I watched her rather than because I had seen yeah. the cars. I watched her, and when they come flying by the and forty three cars pass you within mm-hmm. two seconds, her she just looked at me and she said, "I was so wrong about this." Yeah. And and, and is she a race fan now? No, but she doesn't. But make she fun appreciates it. She doesn't make fun of it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um. One of my favorite memories was my uncle. My uncle works and he runs a, a mission in downtown Indianapolis. He mm-hmm. secured two tickets uh, to the Brickyard 400, and this was uh, back in the probably late 90s, mm-hmm. I believe. I could look up the date if if I had time. But long story short, they were infield tickets, mm-hmm. and so we were right behind the pits, mm-hmm. and I went with my grandfather. Oh, yeah. And we sat right behind. It was kind of towards the end. So if you know anything about pit selection, right. you know, the, the pits that are at the very entrance of pit row are not the hottest commodity a lot of times. It's you want to be at the the end close to the exit. So it was the 36 M&M's car for Ernie Irvin. <laughs> oh, wow. Irvin you, hasn't driven in a long yes, time. That, so here's this is why I can find the date if I wanted to. Right. So I'm literally 10 rows up on this infield. So all I see is once a lap, the cars drive by. Yeah. On the Indianapolis is huge. You see this? This is before, before TV screens, before anything. Right. So I'm spending most of my time watching the pit crew. Right. Prepare, orca, orchestrate yeah. the stops. But here was the cool thing. After every stop, they would give away the lug nuts. So I have an Ernie Irvin lug nut from that race. Go ahead. That's here's, cool. Here's the cooler part. No, it's, this is not cool. But the next week, so Ernie had already suffered a pretty tragic accident mm-hmm. when he Almost was racing. Lost his life. Exactly. And yeah. so this was his kind of bounce back. This was kind of the back into his career. Yeah. The next week, I believe it was Michigan, he wrecked again and, and retired. It. That was it. Yeah. And so I saw his very last race. Yeah, because I have a lug nut from that race. That's cool. Because that last wreck in Michigan was. Very similar to the wreck that almost took his life. Yeah, and and he was yeah, just he like, suffered another head injury. Yeah, think, or something, or it was scary enough that he's like, I gotta call it quits. Yeah, and is so. it say? I mean, are you cool right now to kind of recommend to the Dell Junior download? Like, yeah. if people don't listen to it because the Dell yes. Junior download kind of takes you behind the scenes to the people that are actually involved yes. with the sport of racing. It's a really, really, really fascinating. Podcast. Here's and this is what I tell people: they're like, man, I don't like racing. I don't care. I don't care about Dale Junior or whatever. Right. The Dale Junior download. Is not about racing, right? It's about people. The people involved, and it made is a living fascinating. Off yeah. Absolutely, like I don't care if you like racing or not. Right. If you listen, you know he he does bring in a ton of people that have racing roots because that's his connection, but from all types of racing. But he also brings in like Chipper Jones and people mm-hmm. from non-racing avenues. But it's basically like tell me your story, 
And I'm fascinated by that because as a counselor, that's what I do. Let me hear your story. Mm-hmm. And so the Dale Jr. Downers, I'm a huge fan of that. Right. If you are a race fan, mm-hmm. the other podcast that Dirty Mo Media puts out, <laughs> Door, Door Bumper, Bumper Clear, <laughs> that is 100% like week-to-week commentary. That's a guilty pleasure of mine. On what's happening in NASCAR. Right. That's kind of the, like, if you wanted to know, like, what's the what's the in, inner scoop. Right. That said, it can be crude. <laughs> it, it can, but not, I, not I, like, like, it's just, they use a lot of profanity. I do appreciate it, though, because they do at least go to the extent to censor some yeah, of the customers. They, they, they censor use. the big dogs. Yeah. Uh, you know what's being said, but yeah. it's, you, it's funny, it's really informative, and it's really entertaining. Right. You just have to be ready if you have little ears in the car that you want to be careful around. Yeah. Um, so, uh, not trying to flip the whole thing, the the NASCAR memories. My, my first race um, was 1996. So I had a friend, his name was Trey, from uh, from um, Forest City, North Carolina. We raced mm-hmm. bikes together. We were on the same team. His dad owned a bike shop in Forest City. I raced for his dad, and we were just, like, inseparable. You know, we were best friends. And so his family had gotten tickets to the Winston. Mm-hmm. Um, Is that the one where Earnhardt had that weird paint scheme? The, the American flag paint scheme. Uh-huh. Yeah, the 96 Olympics. The 96 Olympics, and that That's was right. like – I was sitting at the end of Pit Road, and and we were kind of higher up, and so mm-hmm. I could see the whole track. I was trying to think if I was at that one because I went to several, right. but I don't think I was at that one. The And that was my first experience because Michael Waltrip ended up winning the race in the red – he was driving for the Wood Brothers. The Sitgo? The Sitgo 21. 21. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so I was a huge Jeff Gordon fan <clears throat> at the time, and that was like – when I and and I was sitting right there at the entrance of turn one, so I was so high up that you lost the cars for a split second as they dove into turn one going mm-hmm. into two, and I just remember loving everything about NASCAR racing when I left. My that race. favorite thing. So I grew up. If any of you knows racing, I grew up going to Bowman Gray Stadium every Saturday night. What? Every Saturday night, I was me and my you were dad at Bowman Gray, at Bowman Gray for decades. So you know short track racing. So, and so truthfully, if I could take anyone anywhere, I'd take you to Bowman Gray on a Saturday right. night. It's better than any race I've ever been to. Yeah, on a good night, I'd take you to Cherokee Speedway. Cherokee. So have you been to Cherokee? Uh, I can't. Maybe once. Where you go to a fight and a race may break out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but my fa- and this is true. I don't know about the new cars, but this was true in the old NASCARs. It's especially true at a place like Bowman Gray. The smell of the gas. Oh, gosh. If my wife used it <laughs> as, like, right. body spray, right. I'd never leave the bedroom. Right. It, it oh. is. It, there's something so sweet and unique about it. Right. That it, And you can feel it because all those cars come rushing by. About a half second later, you feel the wind from mm. them, and you know, you make its way up. Mm. And then you get hit with that sweet smell of ethanol or whatever it's it is. A sweet, it's a it's, sweeter smell than it, it is. Ab- it is. That is my that is my favorite, and then cigarette smoke. <laughs> There's do you like diesel fuel? Like the right. Burning diesel fuel. <laughs> so there is something about the smell. So right. I I went I was able to stay in the suites at Charlotte one time mm. for a truck race. I don't like you, and I well I didn't like it. What? Because you couldn't hear anything. I couldn't hear. I was, couldn't smell it. It was muffled. Everything, and, and yeah. so it was like I might as well just be at home. Mm-hmm. 
there's something about now. Don't get me wrong. If somebody offered me a suite again, you better believe I'm gonna yeah. be there. But the suites that I love are the ones that kind of have that balcony yeah. where you can walk out and experience it. Yeah, like you have to feel it mm-hmm. you have for to it feel to be it. You real. Have to smell it. Yeah, um, I can only imagine what it's like to stand on pit road and seeing those you know cars rumbling towards you for pit stops. Yeah, it, it and then you know the orchestration and the choreography behind pit stops and those things. I mean, you've got former. Mm-hmm. former professional athletes, like when they retire from the NFL, when they retire from Major League Baseball and they've still still got some good in the tank, yeah. but they can't exactly play contact sports, they they come to NASCAR. You're talking about big son of a guns. Yeah, gas guys. I mean, like we're talking about linemen, linebackers, safeties, defensive yeah. guys, offensive guys. They Did you see last week that Joe Gibbs rolled out a new pit stop choreography? I did, and it blew my mind. Nine seconds. They changed four tires and filled up the gas tank in nine seconds. Right, and and immediately I know the reaction that a lot of people want to say, well, it's only because they've got one lug on the wheel. No, No, the the average time for them to take that lug off and put the new tire on is about the same when they can pop the five Mm -hmm. and, and put a new tire on and five on. And still, even even if that's true, okay, that's fast. But you're still changing four tires and filling up a gas tank in nine seconds. Yeah, 22 gallons. I can't fuel. even walk around my car in nine seconds. Right. Did you see what was different about the choreography? Yeah, they all came from the front. Yeah. We're used to they split. Well, a couple around the front, a couple around the back, right? right. But, but when they change the tires on the, the right side of the car yeah. and the jack drops, the front tire changer on the right side of the car it's basically they all moved in succession. Oh, so succinct. he went to the he back. He went to the back rear, and oh. and the gas guy stayed plugged in, the drunk, dumping fuel and dumping the whole. You That's know, genius. The whole time, and so you don't really need a right yeah. rear. You know, it was it was. And to give you some perspective, a year ago, stops were fast at thirteen seconds. Right, eleven seconds. So they yeah, you 13, cut off. Two to four seconds. Fast forward a decade, two decades. You know, back in the 70s, 80s, you're talking about thir- minutes. Right. Minutes to change tires. Now we're down to nine seconds. Anyway, it's <laughs> blowing, blowing my mind. So, yeah, I, I, I grew up around racing, and it was um, – have you ever met a driver? 50. Yeah. Have you ever met a driver? Um, have I ever – I'm trying to think. The answer is yes. I should be really embarrassed right now. I don't know. Huh. Have you? Unintentionally. And it was my favorite driver. Or Who? my current favorite driver. Who's your favorite driver? Current favorite driver is Chase Elliott. Okay. Only because he... Oh, you've told me this story. What was this? He, he legitimately... The reason I like Chase is because he legitimately took over the 24 when Jeff Gordon stepped down. Yeah. And so Jeff Gordon has been my guy since Jeff Gordon... It was Debbie Allison, Debbie Allison, Pastor... Anyway... I was I stopped at QT to get gas in Bowling Springs mm-hmm. and just nonchalantly I'm getting gas. I walk in to get a, a protein drink and a cup of coffee and standing there, all five seven of him, yeah, in his Napa garb was Chase Elliott. And I did a double take. I was like, Is that Chase Elliott? And and it was and I just walked over to him and I was like, Hey man, appreciate you. Big fan. Been a fan of you since you took over the twenty four. Go get it. And he's like, pleasure to meet you, man. And I didn't want to ask him for a photo yeah. because it was like, it was like this dude gets asked for autographs and photos, and it's a part of what he does. I, I don't want to be that. that guy, right? In the middle of QT, hey, can I get a photo? Yeah. But it, but it's also on the flip side of like, man, I wish I would have gotten a photo with Chase yeah. Elliott in the QT and Bowling Springs. So the probably the the one I'm proudest of is, and this wasn't even 
This is almost predictable. My dad and I went and toured RCR, I guess it oh, was. That's cool. yeah. We were touring because it's right there where we live. Yeah. So I've been to DEI. I've been to uh, Richard Petty Motorsport, like yeah. all those. Have you ever been to the Hall of Fame? No, that's on my list. You need to go. To the Hall I, of I want Fame. to. Yeah. But we um we were at RCR. And we were walking out to leave, mm. and Chocolate Myers walked in. Chocolate Myers, and if you you know, and Chocolate Myers, you know, yeah. he was part of the Flying Aces, right? Like right. he was part of Dale Earnhardt's. He was his bodyguard and his, his gas, gas man. man. Yep. You know, and even after Earnhardt passed away, he continued to gas cars for Kevin Harvick for a little while before right. stepping down. Right. But like he's he's so iconic. Mm-hmm. To, you know, in the nineties, in the eighties, nineties, early thousands. So. Right. Yeah, he was coming in, and, and I think my dad shook his hand, and yeah. we walked out. There's so not many was, men that are that big, nicknamed Chocolate. Yeah, he's and, a big son of a gun. And if if you if you see, you would know him if you saw him, and and yeah. that's so. Um, God, I'm sorry, I don't mean to like. No, you're fine. This is a pressing question too. Um, where were you when the day racing changed? When Earnhardt died? Yeah, in February 2001. Listen, this is where you're going to open up a can of worms for me. And we've only got like 10 minutes left. Well, let's try so to make it happen. Let's go. Gonna, I'm going to cram it in here. Okay. So, you know, my routine growing up was regardless of what was going on in the, in the race, like when it was time for church on Sunday night, I went to church. Right. And so what happened is I, I can't remember the order of events. Like, I don't know if I knew there had been a wreck, but there was time to go to church. And so I went to church, but, you know, we thought nothing of it. Right. Or... I don't remember. I think somehow I think I knew there was an accident because what I remember is I walked in the back door off the carport of my house and my dad met me in the kitchen and he said, he's gone. Mm. And like, and it just like hit me. And my mom was like, what are you talking about? And I said, Dale Earnhardt died. Mm -hmm. Uh, I instantly knew. And so that's why I have to think, like, I think I knew maybe there had been an accident. Yeah. Didn't think anything of it. Left to go to church. And it was a wreck that we still see to this day. Like, what blows my mind. And when you watch the wreck, it looks so insignificant. Right. Right. And Ryan, Ryan. um, Blaney? No, Ryan Newman. Ryan Newman's wreck. And and then um, the. Austin Dillon's wreck was a lot worse than yes. what Earnhardt experienced. There was just four. something where, like, all the stars aligned in that right. moment, right, in the worst way possible. Right, it also leads you to believe, like, you know, he'd been racing for so long. You don't know if there was other past injury. You don't know what else yeah. other factors could have been playing yeah. present that made him more susceptible yeah. to a, like a lethal injury. You know, he grew up in a time where there wasn't neck supports. Yeah, and I think there wasn't. You, yeah, I think if you read the tea leaves now and how Dale Junior's handled his concussions, yes. I feel like there's something there that has led Dell Jr. to take his concussions a lot more seriously that probably played a factor yeah. in what it ended up taking Earnhardt's life. Yeah. I, I I was the same place you were. I was at church. And, well, you were not, talking to my dad? I was not at the same church. But a buddy of mine come up to me and he was like, yeah, man, Earnhardt died. And I thought he was playing yeah. a joke on me. I was like, no, 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 yeah. no way, no way. And, and to put this on a scale, this is like – at the top of Michael Jordan's game. Yeah. Instead of him retiring. He dies. On the basketball court. That's right. Having a heart attack and dropping dead at center court. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. No other, nothing else, no other comebacks, no nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the equivalent of, of Babe Ruth or somebody dying at, at the middle of mm-hmm. his at-bat or something like that. This is this is the significance behind yes. the death of Earnhardt. Here's, here's what gets me. is Unlike you, 
I uh, I'm a Christian, and so I was not a Gordon fan. <laughs> and so I was. But he was a promise keeper. I was, yeah, I got. I don't know what promises he kept. So I um I w- I was raised an Earnhardt fan. Right. Like I. So the day he died, the time mm-hmm. that he died, I had a picture in his shop waiting to be signed. Oh gosh. It was returned in the mail. Unsigned. Unsigned. Um. You know, I have tons, tons, well, tons is a strong word. I have a significant amount of Earnhardt memorabilia. Uh, my dad has a whole Coke front, the Earnhardt yeah. Coke fronts. Remember those? Right, yeah. Got one for free. Do you remember Hanging the week? Up. Do you remember the week later when they threw the checkered flag for his hauler at Rockingham? Yeah. Oh my God. Here's, but here's the here's the sappy part right. is I grew up an Earnhardt fan, mm-hmm. and here's and here's what most people don't understand mm-hmm. is. Is a lot of people. It's just racing. It's just racing. And part of me wants to go further down this road than we're going to today. But like, you know, there's some things in life that mean more for reasons other people will never understand. Right. right. So like, what people don't understand is in 2001, my life sucked mm-hmm. really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, not even because Earnhardt died. Right. But like, racing was my escape. Mm-hmm. Right, so like I moved a lot as a kid. Like we said that earlier, I spent seven years in Ohio, Pennsylvania, North right. Carolina. We moved to North Carolina a few months into the fifth grade, mm. and I'm immediately placed into this small private school where, for God knows why, mm-hmm. there is this joker there that decides he wants to bully me. Mm. And so for the remainder of that year, I was severely bullied. And so I remember, and that was in the late '90s. That was right. and, but but it. it led to mm-hmm. a period of time at least four or five years where I was consistently bullied mm-hmm. whether it be at church at school I was homeschooled for a couple of years people right. currently bullying me for that <laughs> but <laughs> like it was bad like right. it was not good like I remember times getting in the car after school just crying right because like it just was awful not to mention that so I relocate to a new school, right. a new state, new school. Right. I have no connections. I have no, I'm not adjusted at all. I immediately start being picked on. Um, I'm being picked on at school, and then my grandma dies. Um, and so there was some back and forth. She had been sick. She passes away. And so there was a stretch, and that was my fifth grade year, right? So then, uh, which that wasn't the year Earnhardt died, but it set into motion right. a series of two or three, four years that it wasn't probably till I turned 16 that things started to change. Mm. So you got to think, how old are you in fifth grade? Fifth grade to 10th grade, somewhere mm. in there, yeah. is um, is like, man, I was disconnected. I was, you know, I was angry at God. Mm-hmm. And like racing was my outlet. Earnhardt was my guy. Like he mm-hmm. he gave me something to look forward to. And right. otherwise, uh, I was, life that was pretty depressing and right. sad, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so like when he died, it was just like a crushing blow Mm -hmm. because it was like, that was like, that's what got me through. Yeah. Your, your hero was, was proven to be a human. And even now, like, even now, like when I feel disconnected, like when I feel like life is falling apart, there's always a racetrack where I can (laughs) go to and for a couple hours, just like enjoy it. Yeah. Just watch. It regrounds you. Right. You know, and I mean, so like to me, it's like racing isn't just about the fun of the sport. Right. For a, for a lot of years, like it was what got me through. Right. And there's there's a connect with that 
across all sports, all yeah. professional sports, even all collegiate sports. There's that's the reason why people congregate and tailgate before Clemson and Carolina games. Yeah. Because their aunts, uncles and, and moms and dads and even family members that have passed away, that's where for years there was a familial comfort and, and reunion there at least for you know, six weekends in the fall where yeah. you got to hang out with your family and go watch Clemson football or Carolina football win or lose. Yeah. And the same thing is with NASCAR. I mean, for me, it was – I knew where my dad was always going to be when the race was on. Yeah. He was going to be in his Lazy Boy recliner. And I knew – and this is going to sound so redneck here for a second. But I knew that once he finished smoking his Marlboro Red and put it out, that I could get up in his lap and watch the race with him. And so I would sit there in the living room and wait for him. I would I would remember I would watch the cigarette burn down, yeah. waiting to get up in my dad's lap because my dad was a, a truck driver. And so he was gone <clears throat> Monday through Saturday yeah. hauling car parts for GM. But Sundays after church was, you know, and yeah, I, I get it, you know, well, Dad smoking in the house, yeah. 2022, all that other stuff. Welcome to 1995. Right. Yeah. Well, no, this was this was early 90s, man, yeah. for me. Um, and so. And that's tr- And I think that's what everybody can connect with that idea, mm-hmm. though. Like, whether it be my dad was a Colts fan or he mm-hmm. followed the Rangers or he was, you know, it didn't matter. Right. Like, I think a lot of people have that. And yeah, maybe it's a, we always went to the Clemson game or mm-hmm. we always went to the the local football, like there's these things, these moments when you look back on that, like you can't explain to somebody right. without it just getting weird right? about why it means a little bit more. Right. And it's also, there's a nostalgia factor to it too. And, and, and I love my father-in-law, but, but his attachment similarly is with baseball. He's got yeah. an attachment with his grandfather that, that worked deep within baseball mm-hmm. organizations. And so that led for him, love of the game. And, and now he's, you know, a, a pastor that his hobby is, and he has to be kind of throttled and held back from purchasing memorabilia on eBay yeah. because he loves the game so much. And, and so it, um, it's, yeah. I, I can totally see it. And, and when I lost my dad for a short period of time, I, I didn't have any interest in racing. Yeah. There's kind of like this dark period and, and, and it was, the the end end of the early end of the nineties into the early two th- thousands and that was when and I kind of go back and watch and see races from that time period and I don't remember any of it is because I walked away from it because I associated it with being with yeah. my dad. Uh, the the hard part for me the weird part for me is you know as soon as Earnhardt dies you know, jokes start coming out mm-hmm. you know. And I can't think of any off the top of my mm. head, but there's a lot of popular like Earnhardt mm. jokes, Earnhardt dying jokes, or whatever, mm. which is all well and good. Like if somebody tells me one, you're not going to offend me. Right. But for a lot of years, that did, because and here's where people don't understand, and this is true. Like the counselor had on me, is like the tr- the tr- in trauma. Like there's we have these things that like bother us more than they should. Yeah. And like that's one of them. Like people don't understand what racing was for me. They mm-hmm. don't understand what Earnhardt was for me. Right. So then they they throw this joke out at me, mm-hmm. and I'm like, you know, you're touching something that you don't realize you're touching. <laughs> you know, right. and I know it's not intentional, and they're just being silly, and they know right. I'm an Earnhardt fan, and I'm a jokester, and right. they're pushing, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm, a, you know, I I don't like get defensive or anything, mm-hmm. but for a lot of years there, it was like, man, you're you're messing with something you don't understand, and if I tried to explain it, you'd think I was stupid. Right. That I put that much effort into Because all the jokes that we talked about kind of 
bringing this topic, you know, ahead is mm-hmm. like those would come in, and, and when people make the left turn jokes, and when yeah. people, um, and that's what I was getting at when people don't uh, people don't joke and oversimplify mm-hmm. any other. I don't want to say don't, but you don't hear it as often. Yeah, P- people don't joke and oversimplify football or baseball or any other any other topic. Yeah, and so it does it does sting a little bit when when mm-hmm. you hear somebody talking about that and. You know, I, I go back and I look at, um, you know, I remember sitting, I was sitting in the living room floor, 1990, uh, October of 1993. It was Richard Petty's last, no, it was 92. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, it was Richard Petty's last race. Or, uh, Gordon's first. Gordon's first race. Mm-hmm. What was and, that? What, Charlotte? Uh, it? And it was Atlanta. It was, Atlanta, It was right it. before they reconfigured it. Yeah. And um, I think Bobby Labonte ended up winning the NASCAR championship that year. And it was a shift almost when, when Petty left. But I remember I was there, and I, and I watched that race with my dad. And I go back and look at some of the great Earnhardt victories. I remember sitting and watching, even though I hated the moment, but I remember watching with my dad the moment Earnhardt finally won the 500. Yeah. My oh, dad, my, my dad was crying. My dad was yes. crying. Okay, he cried when Dale Earnhardt won the Daytona 500. Laughable to some, but to a man that made his living off of the purchase of those car parts that ran those cars and fed his family, that meant something. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. So it means a lot more than just people turning left. Yeah, it does. Um, And I think that's a good place to wrap up today. You know, it means a lot more than, than people turning left. Yep. And whether you understand that or not, mm-hmm. I can't make you. Right. Um, but it's it just is. Yeah. You know? And and I think everybody probably has that. Whether it be a mountain cabin that your family went to or a sports team you went to or a beach that you went to or just a favorite ice cream. Mm-hmm. Like we have these moments that we bond over mm-hmm. and we want to hold on to them for as long as possible because in some ways it keeps that person alive within us. Yep. And that's a that's yep. a cool moment. So yep. anyway, well, Jimmy, man, I appreciate you filling in. Yeah, I never thought that we'd be able to take NASCAR and get kind of serious. Uh, get sitting, there we go. It. But yeah, here we are. So, um, but it's man. been a joy, man. I always love doing this. Yeah. With you. Well, listen, guys. Uh, sorry about last week, but we're back. We're better than before. And next week, you'll back, be back to just me and Josh, I guess. <laughs> so anyway, come back from Utah, Josh. Come back from Utah. We're sending a search party. <laughs> So, anyway, until next time, um, y'all go watch a race and behave yourselves. Is this where I'm supposed to say holler? Yeah, holler. Okay. Or in Josh's words, P.O.P., hold it down. Yeah. (laughs)